You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Testudo Times Podcast on the Testudo Times Podcast Network. I'm Sam Ostry alongside Dylan Spilko. Lauren Ross is not here with us today. She's had a busy day with National Signing Day, which we will get to um, later. It's National Signing Day for uh, Maryland football. They've had a great day. But there's a lot of basketball talk that we need to get to. Maryland basketball has had quite the whirlwind of a season. They were off for a week, but then they were back in action this past Sunday at the Barclays Center against the number 20 ranked um, Florida Gators. And it was a thrilling game. They won it 70 to 68. Um, a lot of things to be happy about moving forward. You know, it really was a like, it was a must win game, you could say, just because how everything they were on a three game losing streak. They wanted to avoid a four game losing streak. They hadn't lost four in a row since the 2004 2005 season. You know, it was a good opponent. It felt like if they were going to turn this season around at any point, it had to come right there. And it seems they may have, only time will tell. But Dylan, from that game, what, what were your initial impressions? Well, my, my initial thought was that they proved me wrong because I initially thought that the spread would be around like eight and a half points. And then they come out and, you know, Florida wasn't really expected to be a, a top 25 team. They're very young. They got a lot of uh, really young, good players. Castleton, they got that Appleby kid who's unbelievable. They just they have a lot of young weapons, and I didn't really expect Maryland to come away with a win in this one, to be honest. I thought that they shot the ball extremely well. I think that's a big turnaround that you've seen uh, compared to games past where their offenses struggled just immensely all over the floor. And more importantly, something that I touched on earlier, uh, earlier in the week before that game is that the team's top players and the top sp- uh, scorers just weren't getting the job done. And against Florida, the exact opposite happened. They were actually clutch. Eric Ayala, Fats Russell, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, they all came through big time, especially in the second half when Maryland needed it most. And, I mean, you said it. Maryland was on a three-game losing streak. You lose your coach of 10 years in Mark Turgeon. You move on to Danny Manning. A A lot of shift and change going on in the program. And to go into a neutral site against a top ranked team, because this this easily could have been a loss. Maryland was down a minute left in this game, 66 to 65, before Fats Russell came back with a, an and one layup, which put Maryland back in front. But at the end of the day, a win is a win, especially against the top 20 team at a neutral site. It doesn't matter if Florida falls out of the AP rankings this week. The, the number 20 will still be next to their name on the schedule that it's when you see that it's a Maryland win. So. Overall, Maryland, it's to say that they needed a win is an understatement. They desperately needed to get back in the win column. And now they're sitting at six and four. And this is this is a step in the right direction. And I think that's all you're really looking for. You weren't really looking for some. I mean, it, I guess it is a statement. I don't know. It's a statement for Maryland that their season isn't over yet. But any win from this point on for Maryland should be seen as a success. Yeah, I mean, it's a statement in the sense that they're, they said they're not broken. I mean, they've gone through a lot of adversity, gone through a lot of a situation with Mark Turgeon leaving that just college teams don't go through because coaches don't just resign in the middle of the year. Typically, it was, it was unprecedented. But what they proved is they're not a broken team, that they're going to take that adversity and try to build on it, make them better. Danny Manning, he hasn't had a ton of success as a head coach um, in college basketball, but the guys really respect him. You saw that after the game in the locker room. Um, they were pouring water on him for his first win as the interim head coach. The guys really respect him, and, and he's the right guy to lead them forward. So it was, it was a must win because if they really lost this game, I mean, their tournament chances were just about done. They could have easily been broken without a game for another two weeks. Um, so this win was huge going forward. But you touched on it. Sometimes it's as simple as your best players need to play well and you need to make shots. I mean, I mean, that's really what it came down to. Eric Ayala had really been struggling the last, th- the last three games before Florida. I forget his, his exact percentage, but I think he was like shooting 21% from the field. I mean, that's your leading scorer, and that's, just, and that's not going to cut it. And you're not going to win games against the best teams or the worst teams in the country if, that's, if your leading scorer is putting up that type, that type of production. But he was phenomenal against Florida. I mean, he was making threes all over the floor, step back threes, catch and shoot threes. He was getting downhill, getting to the rim. And then as a team, they shot 61% from three. They had really been struggling shooting the three ball this year. 
but that was their best three-point percentage, three-point percentage of the entire season, and 77% from the free throw line, which is solid. So, like, it really comes down to your best players need to play well and they need to hit shots. And another thing was – you got – go ahead. Oh, I was just going to talk a, a little bit about Fats Russell because yeah. it, because I've had some time to think about his performance. And it's weird because when we were coming into the season, Maryland had a lineup where, okay, Fats Russell is going to turn more into – back into that pass-first guard. And Maryland's going to have this well-rounded lineup, and Fats Russell is just going to use his speed and run around defenders and kick it out, and Maryland's going to get a ton of open shots. And while that was sort of the case earlier on the season, I mean, it's not like Maryland didn't have open shots. They simply just weren't hitting them, and their offense was putrid. Fats Russell looked like a different player. He looked like he just used a different style of his game, the style that he used when he was with Rhode Island. And when he was with Rhode Island, he was a score-first guard because he had to be. And finally, with this team struggling on offense, it seemed that he kind of shifted that mindset to, okay, maybe I do need to be that score-first guard. And while his speed is mesmerizing and he's one of the fastest basketball players, shiftiest, I would say, that I've ever seen on a college basketball floor, there are some times when he can be very erratic with the ball and it's kind of he does force things sometimes. But – I would trade the five turnovers he had against Florida for the 19 points on seven of 13 shooting any day. So if he's shooting the ball like that, I think I'm okay with him getting like, obviously you never want your point guard to get five turnovers and Eric Isle also had three, but at the end of the day, seven of 13 from a guy and, and three of three from three point range from a guy who's traditionally not a good three point shooter, a guy that's, um, that has taken a step back and not been that top scorer on this team. I think that's really encouraging for Maryland. And you see their top players, Eric Ayala, Fats Russell, they both played the most minutes on the floor. They each played 37 against Florida. And the, it's you're right, it's, it's really just as simple as that. Maryland's top players are finally playing like top players in the country. They were ranked and highly regarded, and they finally came through. When we talk about um, changes that we were going to see to this offense, this team in general, with the departure of Turgeon and Danny Manning taking over a little bit. One of them that Danny Manning was talking about, and when we when we talked to the players, some players and and Coach Manning before the game against Florida, something he was saying was, you know, he's going to try to put um, Fats Russell off the ball for a couple of reasons. Number one, because he didn't feel like he was being himself, and it didn't really look like Fats Russell was being himself when he was trying to be more distributor, maybe choosing his points to score, which doesn't always work. We saw him taking some difficult shots at the rim that didn't have much success. So maybe he wasn't really himself. So Danny Manning said he wanted to move him off the ball a little bit so he can be more of a scorer and just and just play himself. And the other thing is they have other guys that can initiate the offense. So while Fats, while Fats Russell is a traditional point guard, and when he's out in transition, I mean, he's brilliantly fast and quick, as we've all seen. But they have, like Eric Ayala, they have Hakeem Hort, who played a lot of point guard last year and initiated the offense. So they don't need Fats Russell in that position. And we saw that, and that really helped um, Fats. I mean, he's not always going to go three for three from three-point range. He's capable. He's not a great three-point shooter, but he's certainly more than capable of knocking down threes at a high percentage. So that's not going to happen every game. But him just having being more of a scoring threat off the ball, I think that was terrific for them moving forward and just in general, I think you're going to see that a lot more and something that worked against Florida and, and something they now have two week break to work on. And so I, that's a big change I'm looking for. I, I have a question for you. Would you, would you call this win the best win against a, a quality opponent than Maryland, the best, like the way that they played against a decent opponent, not named Quinnipiac all year. Was absolutely. that, was that I would best? say, Absolutely. I mean, they, they hadn't shot 60% plus from three once this year. So there's that. There's also that, that second half against Richmond and that comeback win. That was almost, that was a phenomenal half. They shot the three ball well. They defended at a really high level. So that, that was a great half, I thought, against um, Richmond. But that wasn't a full 40 minutes. For a full 40 minutes, I thought this was their best performance. Certainly offensively, um, they had way too many. They had 11 turnovers in the first half because they weren't really handling Florida's press well. Um, they were dribbling into traps that quickly didn't become as much of a problem in that, in that second half, they adjusted and they did a much better job of passing through that press. So, yeah, I mean, for the full 40 minutes, they didn't defend phenomenally. Florida started out three for 10 from three point range. And then they hit like five, of their next eight or nine or something like that. Um, so they didn't defend phenomenally, but 
for full 40 minutes, it was their best performance. There's, there's not a lot that they can compare it to from a high, high regard, but yeah, it was their best performance for four, 40 minutes and it's certainly something to build on. And it brings up another, it brings up a very funny topic because if you just look at the beginning of the season and now, if you were to tell me that Maryland's, so, okay, let me rephrase this. So at the beginning of the season, the one missing piece that everybody thought Maryland was missing was a big man. They thought they were missing that one piece, the one guy at the five. They get Q Wahab, uh, uh, Kudus Wahab, and they have Julian Reese. And they go through it. They start throughout the season, obviously, five and four. It wasn't really as planned. And they were going to their big men a lot. And this is – if we're saying that this was the best game that they have played all season where they leaned so heavily on their guards for scoring is – I mean, I didn't expect that, especially with a big man like Danny Manning as the head coach. I don't know. It's just, it's just surprising to me. Because Wahab ends with one point, Reese ends with six. They end with just six total field goals made. Do you think that's more of something that's matchup-based against this kind of Florida team that's um, – I would say that they're more guard-heavy? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because, first, um, I don't think – like, based on how much they're going to be feeding Q and when Julian's in the game, Julian, that's based on – the matchups, I really believe. I mean, Florida's a bigger team, so it kind of makes sense. And a lot of teams that are going to play in the Big Ten are going to have great big men. And so I don't Q isn't like the best post player against great big men who are around his size. Against smaller guys, he's very efficient down there. But so it's really matchup based. The other thing is, it's not just that they like that they have to feed the big men. His presence in of itself and the game plan they have to create by having Q and having legitimate post presence down there it creates driving lanes for other guys because they need to be thinking about, all right, if we're, he's throwing the post, are we going to double? Are we going to leave them in single coverage? Um, if he's just posting up hard, he's sucking the defense in and he's creating driving lanes for other guards. So it's just the, the sheer presence of having Q out there and Julian too, when, when he's posting up and he can obviously stretch the floor too, but it's just the sheer presence of him that really makes a difference. But there's one other thing I want to talk to you about um, just in terms of this game that was, really encouraging moving forward is how they closed it. I mean, they have been in every single game this year, and you can look at every game in one or two plays and be like, uh, this team maybe could be 10 and up, which is ridiculous to say, but like there's, they've been in every single game, but it com- comes down to late game defensive stops they hadn't been able to get, and then late game buckets when they need it most they hadn't been able to get. Against Florida, we saw Ru- Fats Russell with under a minute go, drove down the lane for a beautiful layup and one. Then with 20 seconds left, it was a tie ball game. Dante Scott um, throws up a little acrobatic shot, and it, it goes in. Those are two crucial buckets they need late in the game. And the final possession, they get a crucial stop. Closing game is something they hadn't done all year, and that was the first time I saw them do Yeah, and I think Maryland was really lucky to be able to be in a position to be able to close out that game. Because if you look at the, the first half compared to the second half, just a, a world of difference. Maybe not so much in the shooting aspect of things, but Maryland had 11 turnovers at the end of the first half, and they ended up tied. I, I mean, you have double-digit turnovers in 20 minutes of basketball, you expect to be down going into the second half. So I think in that regard, they were really lucky that they were tied. I think it was 33-33 going into half. But at the end of the day, that's – that's a, a really blessed position to be in going into the second half against a ranked team after committing 12 turn, 11 turnovers in the first half. And then they just committed four the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just really evident how if they don't turn the ball over and man, the offense looks a lot better when they're hitting shots. Right. I mean, sometimes that's really all it is. We've just been reiterating that the shooting and the offense has been pretty stale and this game and they, they still only scored 70 points. It's not like it was a crazy high-scoring game. But from watching Maryland all season, it felt like a high-scoring game. Because when Maryland's shooting four for five from three in the second half, 13 of 27 from the field in the second half, that's a good offensive performance from this team. That's because we're just looking at the perspective from all the other games where I think there was one game where they even shot like 8% from three at the end of it. So it's just been – a whirlwind of emotions for this team. And it was encouraging to finally see them close it out, as you said, and get the win because they desperately, desperately, desperately needed it. Cause if they lose this game, they're on a four game losing streak. They're going into a long break. And then you got two non-conference opponents coming up. There's so few chances to prove yourself in the regular season. And this was an opportunity that Maryland needed to take advantage of. 
and just to come out with a win is was the best case scenario. Yeah, I mean, it was the first non-conference win over a ranked opponent since I think it was 2014 or 13 or something like that. So yeah, Manning tied Turgeon's uh, non-conference ranked over ranked opponents. opponents. Yeah, one apiece. Turgeon, I mean, uh, Manning did in two games, but <laughs> but like, yeah, it's clearly it was clearly a must win, and it could be a season changing, season defining win moving forward. We'll see, but like. Now I feel like I'm going to be flip-flopping all the time on this team, especially over these next two weeks. Does this feel like this team can now – because coming to this game, I was like, there's no way this team is making a, the tournament. I mean, it, it, the season feels lost. But does it feel like now they can make a tournament push and, you know, finish maybe like in the top half of the Big Ten? I mean, they have. Coming to the year, they had a lot of expectations. Now they have a little bit of an underdog mentality. They've been through adversity. Everyone's counting them out. So it's, it's interesting how quickly that shifts. But, like, where do you see this team going then? I'm I'm so in the middle right now because you could point to the quality shooting performance and say, okay, maybe they're getting better offensively. And yeah, they did look much better offensively. There was a lot more ball movement. There was a lot more open shots. And you can just see how the offense starts to open up when you have Eric Isle or Fats Russell uh, hitting it from behind the arc. But, but if Maryland gives up and I take this back to the back to the first half. If Maryland is committing double-digit turnovers against any Big Ten team, I don't care which Big Big Ten team it is. I'm not, and this is not to say that Florida is a bad team, because I would just say that the average team that commits double-digit turnovers by halftime is typically going to be losing going into the second half. And the way that Maryland was able to turn around was encouraging, but the lack of quality from their opponent certainly helped them in this situation. And that's that's the I would say that's the only reason why I'm not completely sold on this team completely turning it around. But but I think I don't know who who knows where this team is going to go. You don't know you don't know what Maryland team you're going to get each game. I think that's why it's a completely completely up in the air situation. And they're probably going to beat Loyola and <laughs> likely Brown, going to beat, you would yeah, hope. Brown and yeah. You, one would hope that they beat Loyola and Brown in College Park. So I, assuming they get those wins, that's when Big Ten play kicks off. And I think in that first game against Iowa, you're really going to see and, – and they play Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, and then a, another meeting with North, Northwestern on the road. And, two, and the meetings with Iowa and Illinois are both on the road. So this team is really going to have a lot of soul-searching at the beginning of, beginning of January. And I said right after the game, I was like, damn, this is a shame that this team can't play again until December 28th because they mm-hmm. finally started looking like the top 25 team that they were projected to be earlier in the season. Yeah, well, I think that two-week break could be good. I mean, they're going to get some good practices in, practices in. The players are going to go home for Christmas, and then they're going to have a couple more practices before that Loyola game on the December um, 30th, I believe, or 28th, December 28th maybe. 28 um, against Loyola, 30 against Brown. Brown, yeah, so there's two games in three days there. But this rest is going to be really important for them. I mean, they're going to—they need it. They've been through a lot through these first ten games of the season. Um, some a lot of ups and downs, but they need this rest and good practices. And maybe Manning can implement some things that he wasn't able to, and then he wants to change moving forward. But when I look at this team and I'm thinking about like, are they going to make the tournament? Like, where is this team going? They've been in every single game they played this year, and against all these Big Ten teams, I don't—I don't see a team that's. There's like I have they have no shot against them. Like Purdue, I would have said earlier, but like they even look beatable. They look beatable now. They're still the best team in the Big Ten as far as I'm concerned. But they even look beatable. So there's no team that Maryland would be going into a matchup against where I'd be like Maryland's no shot of winning this game. But we know what the Big Ten is. It's such a difficult schedule. There's so there's there's so many challenges. There's no like you look at all these teams. Michigan State wasn't supposed to be that good. Ohio State, Illinois. We talk about all these teams like Northwestern, who already beat Maryland. They're off to a good start. Um, Iowa. There's so many teams. That there's it's just a battle of the Big Ten, and they're gonna lose a lot of these games just based off no one like any game is any team is beatable on any given night in the Big Ten. That's the nature of this conference. So it's gonna be really hard to rack up those quality wins um, to make a to make a compelling case for a tournament. So it's, it's, it's really going to be a difficult stretch in the Big Ten. But if they can play like they did against Florida, we'll see moving forward. There's one more person that I want to um, talk about is Hakeem Hart. You know, he always – he's, like, become the unsung hero for this team. He really never gets the love that he properly deserves because everyone's talking about Dante Scott, Fats Russell, um, the big men, um, Eric Ayala, obviously. But, you know, in the last five games, he's got double digits four times. 
after a rough start to the season, and maybe we've seen some incons- inconsistent play from him throughout his Maryland career, he's shooting the ball very well. He's slashing. We know the defender he's come with the transformation for his body. But, like, he's playing some really good basketball. And a lot of people were calling him the X Factor coming this year. It, it, you know, he, he really might be, and he's been playing well. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter that was like over the last two games, he's shooting upwards of like 65%. And for for a guy like Hakeem Hart to be the fourth, fifth scoring, I would say he's the fifth scoring option on this team. To be the fifth scoring option and to be shooting 65%, I mean, you would expect your team to win games. And if Hart had the same, if he continued, without his first half performance against Florida, I don't know if Maryland's winning that game. In the first half, Eric Ayala led Maryland scores with nine. But besides that, Hart was second. He had eight points, three or four shooting over the first 20 minutes, one of two from three, one assist, two steals, one block. So the two steals and one block, I think, are very – they really show what kind of two-way player that Hakeem Hart is. Absolutely. And he's – I think he is this team's best defender. I think if this team had Aaron Wiggins, Aaron Wiggins would be the team's best uh, perimeter defender, I would say. But Hakeem Hart immediately steps into that role. And I think he's he's really taken it in stride. And I think we're starting to see uh, some, some more confidence from him. And I, there was one play against Florida where I think – because usually we only see him take wide open shots. He's not really a pull-up-in-your-face kind of guy. He's more of the guy you kick it out to and he hits it. And there was one play against Florida where I think we're starting to see that shift in who he is as a player and who Maryland needs him to be moving forward. He just – he took a three with a defender right in his face. Yep. And I, I, I think that's all you need to know about where his confidence is going because a Hakeem Hart from a year ago, no chance. No chance he's pulling up in front of a defender, especially against a ranked team at, at a neutral site in a game where Maryland desperately needed to win it. So I think just that one play alone, and his willingness to now shoot the ball and just go out there and be a, a quality player for Maryland, I think that's a, a huge step in the right direction. He still only ended with six shot attempts, but his efficiency is what's really making him the difference maker. And he also had the second most amount of free throws on the team. He, had, he attempted five throughout the game, hit four of them, and he played 33 minutes. He was, he's really becoming a solid all-around player for Maryland, and it's only creating more opportunities for this offense and defense. Yeah, I mean, you're right about the efficiency because, like, he's he's not going to be getting 12 to 15 shots a game. He's just not. He's not the top three option on the team. And he's sometimes the fourth, sometimes the fifth, depending on how much they're going to their bigs down low. But, like, so he needs to be efficient. You know, if he's going 0 for 5, that's not really helping the team. But when that's why a lot of people call him the X factor. Because when he is playing really well, and, and when he is playing well, it's, it's efficiently well, he's making the most of his limited opportunities. And so that's the position he's in. And just recently, you know, even these last four or five games, he's starting to do a great job. Like when this team is clicking, like all like Kakeem Hart is doing, playing efficient, that backcourt is playing well. Their big men is are efficient down low. Dante Scott, who had a nice who had a better game than he's had recently against Florida. And obviously the big shot late from him. Excuse me, but when those guys are clicking, everyone at the at the same time, I mean, this offense really can be what people expected it to be before the season it's just a question of the consistency of and then yeah I was gonna say and the defense too I I mean Maryland is not giving up they traditionally last year Maryland was an excellent defensive team that was the only reason why they had any shot of going to the NCAA tournament especially Mm -hmm. without and they did it without a giant with with without a big man down low in a conference where a big man is a necessity they were using Galen Smith and Sometimes even like Jarius Hamilton at the five, and that, that's obviously not a good center to have. Julian Reese and, and Wahab have been very formidable uh, five spots for them. And the defense has been solid. And that's really – it's the fact that the lack of defense is not noticeable is what is keeping Maryland afloat. Because if you were to point to the defense as a weakness, this team would go under in a heartbeat mm-hmm. <laughs> just because of the way the offense is struggling. And they held Castleton. That was like my main point. Castleton, one of the, the best forwards of the nation, man, he's, he's so technical. He's all over the – he had 10 rebounds. He's all over the place, and he's a really solid player. Had nine points, held him to three of nine shooting, three of six from the line. And, I mean, he was a factor on the defensive end, but he wasn't as noticeable as he usually is. And that's what Maryland needed to do, and they executed against him very well. And as a result, you come away with a, a, 
sort of low scoring two point win. Yeah. And the last we've gone long on um, the men's basketball side, but there's obviously a lot to get to from that Florida game and just everything they've been through this season. The last thing that I'll, I'll bring up here is I guess we can, we love to talk about it. So I guess we can talk, we can call it like the Q and Juju uh, uh, track, you know, how much time are they spending on the floor together? Um, it was something Danny Manning was asked about last week and he was like, I'm 6'10". Like, I'm a big man. Of course, I want to put those guys on the floor at the same time. It's just a matter of learning, having Juju learn the four position because he's been accustomed to playing the five. And so it's really, it really comes down to defensive end of him, him learning how to guard um, other power forwards and other fours. But we did see them a little bit on the floor together. Not long, a short shift, about three or four minutes. But we saw Juju and Q take the floor at the same time. And I just think it's going to be matchup-based. You know, if they're playing a bigger team where rebounding might be a concern, which kind of was the case against Florida, you might see them share the floor again at the same time. And it also comes down to if Julian can really stretch the floor and be a three-point threat and make shots from the outside. Um, because you don't want those guys both on the block when they're on the floor together. So, I mean, what do you think of their short stint together? And do you think we're going to see that more going forward? I think I think it's more about Julian Reese. I'm not really yeah. buying that uh, Julian Reese isn't ready to play the four. That's, just, that's not something that I'm buying right now. I think early in the season, we saw him along the perimeter a few times. He's taken a couple threes this season. I, I think he, he's a good well, they, ball. Well, they say it's more on, on the defensive end. than the, oh, learning okay. how to guard fours. Right. Yeah. But he's, I think he's, he's a very talented player, and I don't think if, if we don't see them together against Loyola and Brown, then I don't think it's going to be anything substantial for the rest of the season. Because if, if he's going to learn how to play the four, it's going to come right now during this, this break. Now yeah. is the time. And I think he's a very talented player, and I think he's a smart enough player to be able to learn how to do that. I mean, how much of a – I'm no basketball guru, but – but how much of a transition can it really be to go from the five to the four when you're a, a, a that talented as you are, like as Julian Reese is? I think that he's a very versatile player and that he should be able to transition fairly easily. And they only played, so they played three minutes in that game against Florida on at the same time. Three, yeah, around three or four like minutes. Yeah. So that's not... I, and then I asked Danny Manning at the end of the game, I was like, is there something that you saw that you wanted to that made you take them out? And he's like, no, we have it prepared. We have it ready. So I, yeah. I guess take, take it with a grain of salt, but unless well, we see it late in December, I don't know if we will see it. Yeah, I bought it earlier this year that um, you know, Turgeon said the same thing. Like, they're not ready um, to play just because Julian isn't ready to guard fours. And it is a teaching process. I mean, it's a different, like, mm -hmm. guarding out in the perimeter and moving your feet like that and the help positions. It's different than, you know, just playing the guarding a big man on the block. You know, it's, it's different. So it's, so it is a learning process, especially because he's a freshman by now and having, knowing that you have, we're having these two guys all preseason by now, I would think that Julian's ready. And so I do think we're going to see it moving forward. I don't know if it's going to come against Loyola and Brown just because those aren't like particularly big teams that they're going to have to worry about the size matchups when they play some of these big, big 10 teams, um, maybe against the Purdue, they might want to put those two guys on the floor together and for guarding purposes but also offensively and for, for rebounding. Um, so I do think I might, we not, might not see it against these two non-conference games coming up, but as Big Ten play approaches, I do think you're going to see it. And you're right that it is one of the things that they should be um, implementing these next two weeks and really working on when, when they're trying to see what changes they want to make during this uh, finals break here. So, then, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, and then the question becomes, you know, the winning formula against Florida was going to the guards. Yeah. And it's, it's just a matter of how much does Danny Manning believe that each matchup is more critical than like sticking to what's working. So I think what's working is going to be if they're making shots or not, like if they're making shots or not, why switch it up? But if they're not, then you have to consistently feed, uh, feed the post and look to get two two point baskets near the rim. Yeah. And then the Wahab one point, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's not sitting too well with me. I think that, He's still having problems in the post when he's getting double teamed. I don't think we've seen a lot of uh, progression with him when he's getting double teamed. I think we're see still seeing a lot of the same things. He's kind of getting flustered, yeah, no. struggling to kick it out. He's not doing it quickly enough. And as a result, you're getting uh, – he, he only was credited with one turnover. But just the 
the, the lack of movement on offense, it, it affects everybody and it affects everybody's rhythm. So yeah. I, I, no, I completely I, agree. And honestly, like, unless he has a favorable matchup down there, I really like the lineups when Julian's playing five and, and um, Kudus on the bench. We saw that quite a bit because they were both in foul trouble, but Q got in foul trouble first. So Julian played around the same um, time as, as Q, uh, Q against Florida. So, like, honestly, those are my favorite lineups when Julian's playing the five because he's a great rim protector too. I mean, he can fly and he, he uh, blocks shots all the time and he throws down dunks. So, like, he, he's capable of doing similar things out there. He's obviously younger and he's still learning. And, and you know, there's the maturity aspect and, and all of that that comes with being a freshman and playing on an experienced team. But, you know, those are my favorite lineups, to be honest. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, man, Julius, Julian Reese is – he's crazy athletic. He's got crazy length. His agility is absurd. And the sky is really the limit for him. Yeah. And his, his defense is astounding. And I, I really do like when he's in the five. And it's tough because it's not like Wahab is a bad player. It's not like we're saying Julian Reese is light years ahead of Caduce Wahab and he should be getting 30 minutes on the floor a game. I, I think that the split – is something that's going to be continued to be worked in for Maryland. It's just a matter of who's going to get more minutes a night. And what were the minutes in this game? So Wahab had ended with 24 minutes and Reese ended with 19. So yeah. it's, it's been around like a give or take five minute split between the uh, two. It's always matchup based and that's how it should be when you're playing those guys. But like Reese is regardless, he's still the first guy to come off the bench. Yeah. And, it's, and, and, it's, and the, the other thing, wait, the other thing you hate to say because, you know, we're in the middle of the season. You don't like to think about next year. But if I had to think of one guy that's actually going to be on this roster next team next year, I think Julian, I would put my money with Julian Reese. I mean, he's a Maryland guy, obviously from Baltimore. He loves the school. He wouldn't want to transfer out. And any new coach coming in, that's the player you're looking at. And you're like, this guy has so much raw talent, so much potential. The way you're watching him this year, any coach is like, wow, I, I want to keep that guy around. I'm going to play that guy. I want to do something with that guy. So I don't think a coach would, would want him to transfer out either. So when you look at what next year is going to look like under a new coach, I think Maryland fans want to see a lot of Julian Reese too because he may be the most sure thing to be back on this roster next year. Yeah, it's as much of a development thing as it is trying to succeed because, well, he is, he's an excellent player, but he's still, he's still extremely young. He's a true freshman. He's still got so much more game ahead of him. And I think this is I think playing him 19 to 22, 23 minutes a game, I think that's a perfect, a perfect kind of you know stretch for him to do to be that first big man off the bench. I think that they're not really gonna shift from starting Wahab every game. I think he's gonna just continually be the starter. So you know, I, I, I yeah. agree that Wahab's definitely gonna be starter and he deserves that spot, but but Reese has been great in his minutes that he's given and you know the sky's the limit for him. Is is there a world in which you envision Wahab struggling so much that Reese just completely overtakes him as the starter? Not really, because I don't think they, they think that Reese is ready to play 30 minutes a game or even like 25 to 30 minutes a game just because he's, he's young and he's developing still. Um, so like not really. Maybe like on, there could be certain games where Reese is the guy, you know, he's knocking down shots. He's playing really well. He might play significantly more minutes than Wahab. That's possible. But I can't really see Wahab ever going out of the starting lineup as long as he's healthy and just really – or him really just going out of the lineup, period. I, I can't really see that happening. Yeah, me neither. That, that's just what – I was just curious as to what you thought. I, I don't see it happening either. I think the split is going to continue for the yeah. for the rest of the season, and I think that's what's going to be best for Maryland. Yeah, so I mean, we just went really in-depth on yes. Maryland basketball. I don't know if we've gone that long for on, on any sport for a long time. <laughs> but, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to get to. Um, it's been it's been an interesting season, and it'll only continue with a lot of question marks still in place. But let's go to the women's side of the basketball. Um, you know, they're still playing without Diamond Miller, but they battled, absolutely battled, and had a chance late to win that game against the number one team in the entire country in South Carolina this past Sunday. What were your takeaways from that game from uh, Maryland women's basketball? I think the main takeaway from that game is that Brenda Freeze got exactly what she wished for. I think that she's 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 probably one of the best head coaches in Maryland school history. As oh, we knew that already. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> but the, they made it an emphasis after last season, after getting knocked out by Texas in the Sweet 16, after not facing enough quality competition to – 
uh, become that one seed. Brenda Freeze said at the beginning of the season and when they were making the schedule, we want to be ta- we want to be tested. We want to be challenged. We want to be we want to be borderline beaten in the regular season so that we are ready for March and that they have experienced it all. And all I have to say is about the schedule so far. Yeah, you got exactly what you wished for. You played and that's not a bad thing at all. You lose to and number then number five NC State, then number seven Stanford in the Bahamas. And obviously with a shorthanded lineup that has to do with so much about why they're losing those games. But then you come out against South Carolina and you lose to them by seven on the road, but it wasn't a seven point game for most of the game. It was more like a three, four point game. Maryland even held a lead in the final quarter, I believe. And it's just a testament to how talented that team is. And to do it without an all American, a 17 point per game player in diamond Miller, it makes it that much more impressive. And Mm -hmm. You might see the L and next to, you know, when you look up their schedule and it may look like a negative for this team, but I see that as a huge positive. If you're losing by seven without your All-American while you're going into Big Ten play, there's a lot to be encouraged about about this team, despite them being nine and three and maybe the offense isn't quite there yet compared to, I mean, it's hard to meet the expectations of what they did last season. Uh, what was it, 90.8 points per game? 92, I think, yeah. yeah some, something ridiculous. And the, they scored 59 points against South Carolina. But on the flip side, they held South Carolina, the best team in the nation, to 66 points. So the defense is there, and the offense is something that's going to come eventually, especially when Diamond Miller comes back, because it's just going to open up a whole part of the offense. So despite a seven, that's probably the most encouraging seven-point loss I've ever seen. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think Brenda Freeze learned a lot about her group um, against us in, in that South Carolina game. I mean, they, they, that's the best team in the country by far. And we saw them play UConn earlier this year and they handled UConn. That was the probably the closest game South Carolina might have all year. Um, and their, their best competition was, was Maryland without Diamond Miller. We don't know exactly what's going on with Diamond Miller. So we don't know if we're going to see her later in the season or at any point this season. But we do know that she's a phenomenal player, and if Don Miller ever comes back, they're going to be better off. So doing that without maybe their second or third best player or was expecting to be heading into the season, um, you know, it's really encouraging. And it's not just a South Carolina game. It's really what they got out of this whole non-conference schedule as a whole. You know, coming into the year, we were really talking about, um, like, what's this non-conference schedule going to do? They want to be tested. And I look at it, yes, they were one in three against the top 10 teams in the country that they played. But I look at it as an absolute positive. They took care of a Baylor team at home, a really good Baylor team, a great matchup. They took care of them. Those two matchups against NC State, was it, I believe? And, um, yeah, NC State against and Stanford, the two and three t- top teams in the country, um, those were Thanksgiving matchups without Faith Masonis, Katie Benzin, and Diamond Miller. You, you can't really expect anything from Maryland, like, with again, without – three of their top seven players, you know? So, like, it's, it's really it, – that's really difficult to, to judge them based on that one of three record. And then South Carolina, obviously, they battled against the best team in the country. It should be known that South Carolina didn't have their second-leading score either. But still, it was – Maryland didn't have their second-best player, you could say, too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really testament to great scheduling, a great team, and a great coach, and great recruiting, and all around, obviously – a great program and can't say enough about them, but I think it's only going to help them moving forward. Hopefully they get healthier. And as they go into big 10 play here, you know, they're going to start taking care of business um, as, as we move forward. And you can't let that loss to South Carolina and those Bahamas losses overshadow that they also beat number six Baylor while they were shorthanded. So they're, they're still capable of beating these top teams. This is the, out of like a, a, the football team and the men's basketball team, this is the team that I'm, the least worried about whatsoever moving forward. The most consistently and the least most consistency and least drama. Yes. Yes. The team that worries me the absolute least is Brenda Freeze's squad because everyone knows they're going to pull it together. Eventually they have so many more chances to prove themselves. They play Indiana twice this year. They play Michigan, Ohio state. They play all these ranked big 10 teams where Maryland's once again, going to have to prove that they are the team to beat in the big 10. And despite these losses to you know the best team in the country top 10 teams i think they'll have no trouble cementing themselves right back up top the uh the rankings and they did move back down to number nine which i do understand but i think a lot of people know that they're still 
the top five team when fully healthy. Yeah, and you know, what do you expect from them moving forward? Because now they're really gonna get into the Big Ten play. Um, and this, this is a really good conference. You know, last year it may have not been that great of a conference, and they really just like blew through it. This is a much better conference. You know, they have some real competition. Iowa's obviously up there with them as one of the best teams in the conference. Um, so they're gonna they're you know, it's not like they're they're cake, it's a cakewalk for them moving forward. They have some real competition in this conference. So what do you expect from them moving forward and as they enter Big Ten play here? I think what's really important is for them to take care of these first two games before they face number 10 Indiana on January 2nd. They have to get by Coppin State, obviously, and Illinois on the road. Those are two very winnable games, games where Maryland is probably going to get back on track realistically, probably score 80-plus in both of those games, one would assume. And it's also important to monitor if Diamond Miller's playing because, once again, that just changes the whole dynamic of this team. And it really depends on her on how this team is going to shape out. But if Diamond Miller, I, I honestly don't know if she's going to be present. I feel like with these nagging knee injuries, it usually leads to some kind of restructure surgery, something like that. So who knows what's going to happen with their knee? No one knows if they're just playing the waiting game with this to see if something improves or if they're just waiting on a decision for surgery. I mean, I'm, I have no idea what the, the issue is with her knee but there's clearly something very wrong with it that has kept her out for the majority of this season. And I don't want to say that the season relies on Diamond Miller, but in a way it kind of does. It kind of does because it just changes the entire dynamic of this team. Diamond Miller averaged 17 points per game last year. And, but still I, this team is still going to shape up just fine. They're going to find their groove once again. And, I mean, Ashley Wusu is still Ashley Wusu. Katie Benson is still a three-point marksman. Chloe Bibby, Faith Misonis. There's so many talented players on this team. So, no, I'm, I, I think that this team is going to be just fine, and I'm not worried about them at all. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm not worried about them at all. But I do write, um, I do agree that I think, you know, their realistic expectations do hinge on Don Miller's health. And, obviously, we don't know, and we can only speculate what's going to have been moving forward with that injury and, you know, everything that's going on with her and the team. But, you know, like if, if this team doesn't have Diamond Miller the rest of the season, let's say they can win the big 10 and they can even make a run in March. But like, I don't think they're a national championship like contender where they really can win the whole thing. Like they were expected to before the year. But if you add Diamond Miller to the fold, hey. I really think they're right up there with South Carolina and the, you know, it's it's final. If Diamond Miller's in the fold, I think it's final four or bust for this team because that's the expectations that people have and should have for them because they're that talented. So, I mean, you know, how that situation with Diamond Miller plays out is really going to be telling. But for now, they can only play with what they have and, and you know, can continue to take care of business as Big Ten play starts up after um, in, in a couple weeks. All right. So, you know, we're done with the Maryland women's basketball talk. We're done with the Maryland men's basketball talk. It is early National Signing Day in the college football world, and Maryland football and head coach Mike Loxley are having themselves a day. Uh, yeah. They are currently ranked, um, I believe, six now in the Big Ten in terms of their class of 2020. I saw they were seventh earlier, I believe, after this recent signing. They jumped to sixth, and their top – I saw they were 30 before this Octavian Smith signing. I believe they're 26th now, yeah. national rank. They're 26 now national rank for the 2020 recruiting class on this early national signing day. Coming into the day, Maryland only had one four-star recruit. They now have four, including some major flips that we're going to get to. Mike Loxley worked, worked his magic. Um, so, you know, it, it's been a great day for Loxley and that staff. And that's what everyone said about him is he's a hell of a recruiter. He can really come in and, and just talk, go into a living room, go into a, a living room and just talk and, and persuade, especially the local recruits. And, you know, the pitch is easy now. It, like, everyone wants to play for their big-time hometown, um, hometown school. Maryland is for the top 10 um, recruits in Maryland. Four of them are, are, going to Mar are going to the University of Maryland. From, and they played high school, high school ball in Maryland. So, you know, the pitch is easy. It's, you know, look what I've built in these three years. We've improved every single year. We now made a bowl for the first time since 2016, and we're only moving forward. Look at our quarterback. He's been great, and look at the national recognition he's, he's getting. This is becoming a big-time football program, and that recruiting pitch is so much easier. So why wouldn't someone want to stay home when they have that, that school in their backyard? But to get to some of the specifics before you jump in here, Dylan, um, some of the guys that they flip, 
Um, Jay Sean Barham is a four-star recruit linebacker. A couple days ago, he was announcing his commitment, and a lot of people thought it was going to go to Maryland. He ended up saying he was going to South Carolina. Today, it was announced that he's, he now flipped to Maryland. So whatever happened in those last couple of days, maybe Loxie got on the phone with him, maybe he had a change of heart. Who knows? But that is a big-time get for them. Andre Roy, offensive tackle, he was going to Penn State. He flipped to Maryland today. Um, Shalik Knotts, obviously, he's a four-star wide receiver. They're only getting better in that wide receiver room. A lot of people call it the wide receiver university over here in Maryland because it really has been for years. And then Raymond Brown, he's a four-star running back. He was going to Virginia Tech, who Maryland's going to meet in the pinstripe bowl, and he flipped um, to Maryland. And then Octavian Smith, another four-star wide receiver, he announced today um, that he will be attending the University of Maryland. So, I mean, what were your impressions from this day? There's only positive things to say about Maryland right now. Sam, it's it's been a it's been a very long morning. My fingers have been absolutely been working to the to the fullest capacity that they possibly could have been, and that's a good thing because that means Mike Loxley is doing an excellent job recruiting, and to be able to flip so many players today, I think that just says so much about the direction this program is heading in. Because in the past, yeah, Maryland's not getting any four star flips anytime soon, but now today. You're starting to see, especially after getting the bowl game, just what a, a bowl game eligible appearance can do for your program. And you're starting to get talented players, Shalik Knotts, Ramon Brown, Jayshon Barham. You're starting to see the shift in this Maryland football mindset of, yeah, I do want to stay home and play for the University of Maryland. And that's exactly what Maryland has been missing throughout all these years. And that's what Michael Loxley has been preaching as the head of this program, and we're finally starting. We've seen <laughs> there's been a lot of stuff on like Twitter from Loxley, a lot of gifts, and a lot of uh, you know things about oh you know he, here come the signings basically. And today we finally got to see the signings. And over, like if I had to grade this day, uh, it's an A plus for from <laughs> Ireland standpoint, a resounding A plus. Couldn't really have gone better. Four four stars. Yeah, you said it. That's that's really all I need to say. Four four stars. That's yeah, I mean quality day. Like, you're right. It's 100% an A plus because before this weekend, I think earlier, maybe the beginning of the weekend or some point this weekend, they weren't even in top 50 in terms of their recruiting class for 2022 in national ranks. You know, right now, and this thing is very fluid because a lot's happening today, but right now they're 26. And that is quite the jump in a few days. And that's just a testament to the talent that they've been able to bring in. And just in terms of the position groups, I mean, obviously Jay Sean um, Barham, Barham was really a great get for Maryland because they lost Terrence Lewis and Brandon Jennings um, to, to the transfer portal. And, you know, Bloxley talked about the other day, like 10, now with the transfer portal, what it is, 10% of your roster every single year is, is, is going to be gone. That's just the nature of the game. But they, they addressed the linebacker. They got, they've gotten three commitments today for or signings from offensive linemen. That was the part of the, the, the line that Loxie said he really didn't feel confident in in terms of their depth. He said they have talent in their starting five, but they didn't have a lot of depth there. So they're getting depth at offensive line. We know the two wide receivers, four stars now that they got. Um, wide receivers love to come to Maryland. They have a lot of success in Maryland. And then when they leave Maryland, they have even more success, a lot of them. Um, so, you know, wide receivers are always something they're looking for, especially as Talia is coming. We expect Talia to come back. And, you know, he'll have a ton of weapons with a better offensive line, what it should be more weapons on the outside and then a running back too, because Maryland had no answer at running back coming in, but now they've, they got the uh, Raymond Brown who was going to uh, Virginia tech. He's a four star. He could make an immediate impact on this team and run the running game is only going to help to in the passing game too. And I think that, I think he might be the, honestly, he might be the most important guy that uh, signed with Maryland because Maryland just lost Penny Boone to Toledo who transferred. You have, an offense that was really reliant on Talia Tagovailoa throughout the year and to bring in a four-star that can immediately make an impact. I mean, that makes a world of a difference. So yep. it's going to be Ramon Brown. It's going to be Colby McDonald and it's going to be who, whichever experienced backs return for this team. But to have that four-star Brown step in and to already look like he can be a factor, it's just, those are just the little things on a good football team that makes you just a little bit better. And for Maryland to continually get a little bit better, especially considering that they've already taken a step forward with uh, getting bowl eligible for the first time since 2016, there's just a lot of encouraging things to take away from this day. And 
to sign four of the top ten players from the state of Maryland. Uh, a winning day for head coach Mike Loxley and company. No, absolutely. And then there's there's really, like you said, it's an A-plus. You know, there's a lot of sometimes throughout the season, some not great things to say about Maryland football. But right now, it's only positives. And, and Loxley, he came in. That was a thing. He's going to be a great recruiter. And he's done it, especially for local talent in the DMV area. There's only great things to say about that. It is the recruiting season right now, but Maryland is still preparing and practicing for a football game that they have coming up. They're playing in a bowl game, the Pinstripe Bowl. Um, two weeks from today, December 29th, they're going to be playing against Virginia Tech. You know, we had the bowl game media availability. So did you have any quick takeaways before we wrap up real quick? Just some thoughts. That game's two weeks from today. Do you have any thoughts about that matchup against Virginia Tech? Yeah, I think, you know, Loxley's been saying ever since they've become bowl eligible that the more important, the important part is the actual game. It's the practices that you get in leading up to the game and the development that you get in players that you wouldn't get necessarily otherwise if you didn't be, uh, get eligible for a bowl game. And I think that's – I mean, it's the same message over and over again, but I still think that's the biggest takeaway from Maryland getting a bowl game. You still have another chance to uh, implement some of these, these younger players, to continue to develop them, and each practice in football is extremely important. You learn something new every day, I'm sure, in, in football practice. So this this team really needed like a, something like a bowl game to jumpstart this program, and now we're starting to kind of see it, you know, turn into something really good. And that's what Mike Loxley is focusing on. He's focusing on the recruitment. He's focusing on the practices leading up to the bowl game. And win or lose, Maryland's still going to get nationally televised playing at Yankee Stadium. And whether you know, recruits are going to see it. People are going to see Maryland play in a bowl game and get nationally televised, and that just makes everything so much better for this program. And that's just the main takeaway from it all is that there are really only positives that you can get from going to a bowl game. Yeah, I think I think you're already seeing the dividends pay off with, with this recruiting class in, in the last week who Lockley's been able to flip to come over. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just it really from a development standpoint in terms of these practices coming up. But, you know, I mean, that's all we got today. This was a packed show. There's a lot to talk about. Maryland men's basketball, women's basketball, the National Signing Day, the bowl game coming up. Um, There won't be any Maryland men's basketball games. There's going to be one women's game between now and next Wednesday because it is final season. So everyone, all athletes have a little bit of a break here. But we appreciate everyone listening. You're listening to Studio Times podcast. And we won't we won't have a lot of games to talk about, but I'm sure it's Maryland athletics. We will have stuff to talk about next Wednesday, and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.